Welcome to Desirability Alt, where we'll explore the intersections of disability, desire, and alternative relationships. I'm your host, Angela Carr. This podcast is intended for an adult audience who identifies with or is curious about alternative relationships, including kink, BDSM, non-monogamy, total power exchange, and more. This content is not suitable for those under the age of 18. Get ready, listen by yourself, or gather with your partners and enjoy this episode. Aw, you're so cute. That's the response I would always get. Me trying to flirt. Aw, you're so cute. Me trying to talk dirty. Aw, you're so cute. Me trying to sext. Aw, you're so cute. I began to hate those words. I thought, when am I going to be treated like an adult? When am I going to feel sexy? I want to date and grow like my friends are doing. I want the relationships. When will it be my turn? Does anyone else have this issue? Does anyone else get tired of hearing how cute they are? Or is it just me? These words, you're so cute, pretty much sum up my early adult sex life and relationships. What was I doing wrong? Over time, I came to realize I was trying too hard. I was seen as too desperate. When I would call someone a bunch of times because they weren't calling me back, I was showing desperation. I was showing them that I didn't believe I was worth more. Why was I so desperate? Because I didn't believe in myself or that anyone would want to be with me. Welcome to episode three, where I'll share about what I wish I knew in my 20s and 30s regarding sex and relationships. I'm going to share how my disability, spina bifida, affects my sex life. I'll talk about meeting people and flirting. I'll also address the importance of communication with partners about your disability and medical issues. I'll talk about self-esteem and body image and mistakes that I've made in the past. I warn you that you may learn more about me than you really wanted to know. But I do this because I think being open and vulnerable is the best way we can learn from one another. I spent much of my teen years and young adult life trying to fit in, trying to be just like everyone else, trying to hide my disability as much as possible. My doctors would say, you need crutches. I would say, no, I don't knowing all the while that I would just ruin my knees walking without them. I tried being sexy. The problem was I thought being sexy meant not being disabled. I thought being sexy meant looking and acting like my non-disabled peers. Even to this day, if someone tells me I'm cute, it pisses me off. It just triggers something from my past. I worked hard to be not so cute. I think, oh, you're so cute, those words are triggering for me because it was always said right before a rejection. 
oh, you're so cute, but you're not my type. As if disabled is not your type. I always took rejection to be about my disability. I never thought that maybe the rejection was due to the way I was acting or that it could be my desperation that may have been the turnoff. So as a person with a disability, how do we meet potential partners? How do we get people to see beyond our disability? How do we get people to stop pitying us and telling us we're oh so cute? How do we get people to see past our disability and find people to take us seriously as romantic partners? I hate to say it, but we have to start with working on ourselves working on our self-esteem and taking care of ourselves. For me, I had to start accepting my disability and medical issues and figure out who I was rather than trying to be someone I wasn't. I had to learn to become comfortable in my own skin. I had to learn to improve my self-esteem and my body image. Now, how did I do that? First, I had to learn acceptance. Now, I had this acceptance thing down pat when I was in elementary school. My grandmother raised me with the idea that I could do anything I set my mind to. When I was young, I didn't let my disability hold me back. I tried everything. I wasn't worried about what other people thought. I was having fun. I did gymnastics, I danced, I rode a bike with training wheels, Interestingly, the body shame and the low self-esteem didn't come until I was a teenager. So as a teenager and a young adult, I had to remember and relearn that confidence I had as a kid. There's a good book that helped me to stop the negative thoughts that I had. It's a book on cognitive behavioral therapy, which basically studies how your emotions are tied to your thoughts. If you start with changing your thoughts, you may be able to lift your emotions. The book is called Feeling Good by David Burns. I hear a lot of people say they can't find a relationship or find a partner. That's people with disabilities and people without disabilities. When I do presentations in the vanilla world, that's the biggest question I get is how do I find a partner? My suggestion is work on yourself first. Accept yourself, accept your limitations, your disability, your height, your weight, whatever it may be. Accept those things that you can't change about yourself. Accept them. Work on being the best version of you that you can be. Change the things that you can change. This is always going to be me. I'm never going to walk straight. I'm never going to have long, skinny legs. So I'm going to accept it and enjoy it. We also want to make time for self-care. Now this can be tied into how much energy you have. When I'm depressed or I'm dealing with pain, the last thing I want to do is get in the shower. But often it's the best thing I can do to help myself feel better and lift me out of that depression. Keep a positive mindset. Be grateful for all your body does for you. Maybe you have a disability, but there are things you are able to do. Focus on them. Everyone can find things that they enjoy doing, 
One of my biggest hobbies is knitting and crochet. Now that doesn't mean I have to sit alone in the house and crochet by myself. I joined a knit and crochet circle. Sometimes I crochet at a local coffee shop and I've met people there. Stop trying to be perfect. No one is perfect. If you wait until you do something perfectly or until you have the perfect body, you're never going to do it. I had to learn to stop waiting until things were perfect. If I waited to have the perfect podcast episode, this podcast would have never gotten recorded. Stop comparing yourself to other people. It keeps you in a negative headspace. The only person you should compare yourself to is the person you were yesterday. Do those activities that you enjoy and do them with other people. When people ask me about finding a partner, I often tell them to start doing the activities they love, whether it's singing, camping, gaming, whatever it may be. Get out of your house and socialize with other people. You'll meet like-minded folks. You may make friends and you may even find a romantic partner. For me, before entering the lifestyle, it was going dancing, going to coffee shops, and singing karaoke. My husband was also a karaoke DJ, so that helped. Now, you may be able to get to know people online. Many people do. But I still believe in getting out in real life and getting to know people face-to-face. It's often easier to see people's facial expressions and body language when you're face-to-face. Even in the kink scene, I still believe that. You meet people by going to munches and events. Munches are public gatherings of kinky folks, usually held at bars or restaurants, just to get to know each other. Now, I recognize that it's not easy for folks with disabilities to get out to munches. And I'll talk about access at munches and kink events in the next episode. And I also recognize that things are changing now that we're socially distancing. There are different events and munches now that are being held through Zoom, Discord, or Google Hangouts. In a way, munches and events are more accessible now to folks with disabilities now that they're online. So if you've been considering going to a munch, but were concerned about access, you can join munches online from all over the world today. So as I mentioned in episode two, I met my husband when I was a senior in high school. In high school, I was the loner kid who never dated and didn't have many friends because I was often bullied and I was too shy to actually talk to anyone. But I wanted to go to my senior prom, so I asked this friend of a friend. I finally got up the nerve to ask him and he said yes, just as friends, of course. Now this was 1993, so I had the huge Aquanet hair, and he had the mullet, business in the front, party in the back, if you remember that. He helped me break out of my shell that night and get up on the dance floor. It was the first time since elementary school that I would get up and dance without worrying about who was watching me. He taught me that night that it was okay to get up and have fun. Over the next few months, our relationship would grow, and we would then spend the next 21 years together as a couple. I remember some of those early dates my husband and I would go on. 
Usually we went to a restaurant, usually Friendly's, and we would sit and chat, and he would help me with my math homework. Actually, he did more of the chatting. He would tell me that I almost never talked. It was like pulling teeth trying to get me to have a conversation. In many ways, my husband and I grew up together. We had our ups and downs. Medical issues for both of us were difficult to manage. But overall, we had a very happy life together. When I got to my 30s, though, I started thinking about things I missed out on when I was younger. I didn't date or party in college. While my peers were flirting and dating, I was spending most of my weekends going back home to see my boyfriend. Now, honestly, I was never the type for parties or the club scene. I didn't like loud, drunk people. I'd much rather be home reading a book. But there was something I missed out on from those college days. There was the ability to make small talk, the ability to make friends, and the ability to flirt. Things I still struggle with to this day. I also missed out on learning about my sexuality and learning about sex in general. This led me to a lot of experimentation later as a polyamorous married woman. Now the obvious part of my disability is my mobility issues. I always wore braces and in college I started using one crutch. Everyone could see that. Everyone could see the way I walked. What people didn't know is that I also had bladder and bowel issues. That was the part of my disability I tried to keep hidden. My husband knew when we were dating that I had some issues, as I would have to cancel dates occasionally if I wasn't feeling well. But it wasn't until we became sexually active that this really started to become a problem. Whenever we would have sex, I would soak the bed. Now, he was very understanding of my disability and even wetting the bed. I had the harder time dealing with it. I tried everything I could to stop it from happening. I would go to the bathroom before sex. I wouldn't drink much during the day if I knew we were going to be together that night. To the point of nearly dehydrating myself at times. My boyfriend was the one to teach me about female ejaculation or squirting. I had never heard of that before. He told me it was normal and happened to other women. Female ejaculation is often in response to a G-spot orgasm. I would spend a lot of time wondering whether this was urine or female ejaculation. I'd go back and forth between blaming this on my spina bifida and hating it, hating myself at times, and hating my disability or thinking it was squirting, which happens to other women, and so it's okay. I preferred to think it was ejaculation, so that's what I told myself for a long time. I'll refer to it as squirting going forward in this episode. With my husband's help, I started to let go of the anger and shame I had around this and learn to enjoy sex. Eventually, we just learned to deal with it by getting out extra towels and changing the sheets. I had to learn from now on, though, that I could never have impromptu sex. Sex had to be pre-planned. Being spur of the moment was hard. We'd start kissing, and then it was, hold on, have to go to the bathroom, and then come back and have to start over. 
Sex on the couch or sex in the car was not a good option for me. Shower sex was awesome. Over time, maybe eight years into my marriage, I admitted to myself and my husband that I was bisexual and I was attracted to women. My first sexual experience with a woman was not a positive one. I didn't tell her about this issue I had with soaking the bed because I thought it was female ejaculation and I thought it happened to other women too. We had sex and as soon as it was over, she quickly got up, got dressed and bolted for the door. Now I'll never really know the reason why she left, but in my mind, it was because of the squirting. Now, if you know you're a squirter or you know that something happens to your body during sex, when you have sex with a new person, tell them about it beforehand. I learned the hard way to tell any sexual partner about this before having sex with them. It may seem uncomfortable to bring it up. It might be hard to figure out the exact moment to bring it up. It's not exactly dinner conversation, but maybe you can bring it up when you get invited back to your partner's house after dinner. Some people enjoy being with a woman who squirts. Some do not. It's important to talk about it so they can make an informed decision if they want to have sex with you. It can also avoid any angry outbursts or just embarrassment after the deed is done. I've had wonderful experiences where I've told a partner about this issue beforehand and they were fine with it. Sometimes they were even excited about it. You're a squirter? Yes, bring it on. And we would go on to have amazing sex that I could enjoy. If I hadn't told them, I would be preoccupied with worry and anxious with thoughts such as, I hope it doesn't happen, or maybe I should try not to have an orgasm. Will this person hate me afterwards? Eventually, I would read on the Spina Bifida Association newsletter that it is urine, and it's because the same nerves are involved with sex and urine. I wouldn't learn that, though, until I was in my 40s. Now, my husband was very understanding of my disability and gave me no reason not to trust him. But even in that relationship, there were still things I kept hidden for way too long. He didn't know for a long time that I self-cath. In fact, it was the day we were moving into our new apartment together that I told him I use a catheter to pee. This is something I've done all my life but I never thought to let him in on it. He was accepting of it. The problem was that I wasn't. I was the one who had the issue. Here he and I were in this long-term loving relationship. We're building our lives together, but I'm still keeping these things from him. He wasn't upset about the medical issue. He was upset that I hadn't confided in him sooner. He felt like I didn't trust him, and he was absolutely right but it was my own shortcoming due to how much shame I was hiding. I haven't had a whole lot of relationships or even a whole lot of sexual experiences, but I have had many crushes on a lot of people. I went through this period in my 30s where I wanted to experience everything. Now, as a 30-year-old poly married woman, I had to learn about dating. I realized in therapy 
that I was attracted to women. My husband and I would stay together and work things out in couples therapy. We learned about different relationship styles like polyamory and kink. My husband was very supportive of me exploring. We were both happy and in love, and we both started dating other people. I also made my share of mistakes in a lot of my relationships with women. These were women who I met at a coffee shop. One left me because she was uncomfortable with the fact that I was married. Fair enough. I really feel the relationships I had with women were not long-standing because I was still in the closet with my family. Because I was married, I didn't think I needed to tell my family. I didn't realize at the time, though, I was hurting my relationships with women by being so closeted about my sexuality. I tried online dating for a while, and the first one I tried was OkCupid because I had heard that they give categories for being poly. A big question comes up from folks with disabilities about identifying as disabled in their online dating profile. There are pros and cons to doing so. My suggestion is self-identify, but don't put too much medical information in your profile. Wait until you get to know someone before giving them all of your health information. You can share more as your relationship progresses over time and as you build trust with your partner. So I didn't have much success of meeting people to date in the vanilla world. Where I really started meeting people who accepted me and talked with me was when I started going to kink events. This was the first time I really started learning how to flirt. Munches gave me an opportunity to learn how to make small talk, make friends, and flirt. People were nice to me and didn't ignore me. They made me feel safe to start flirting with them. How do you know if someone is flirting with you? How do you flirt? How do you know if they're flirting or just being friendly? It's not as easy as it may seem. For me, because I was bullied a lot when I was young, I had really bad social skills. I didn't understand flirting or when people were flirting with me. There were times when I lost opportunities because of this, because I didn't realize someone was flirting with me. I'd let them walk away because I had these negative thoughts in my head. That person would never be interested in me. Why would they be? I must be misreading the signals. Then in the other direction, I've taken flirty behavior to mean something much more than it was, and I'd end up humiliating myself. Part of the problem is that I have a hard time figuring out if someone is actually into me or not. I often wonder if this is because many people are so sweet to me out of pity. I get the smiles as I cross the street. I get people who will talk to me whenever I call them on the phone, but would never take the time to pick up the phone to call me. I hear all the time, oh, you're so cute, in that condescending tone. You know, if you don't want a friendship or a relationship with me, I can understand and I can take no for an answer. If you don't tell me though, I won't know and I will keep trying. I would rather hear a no or I'm not interested rather than, okay, let me get back to you. Sounds good. Let me check my calendar. And then it never happens. And I ask you again, 
because I can be a bit persistent when I want something and I have a crush on someone. I think people do this as to not hurt my feelings. People really don't want to hurt the girl who walks with crutches as they see her as pathetic and lonely. Problem is when you string me along, it hurts worse once I get to the realization that you were just being nice out of pity. I've also been taken advantage of in platonic relationships and friendships. There was one woman in particular who I had a huge crush on, but she had no interest in me. What she was interested in was taking advantage of my feelings for her. She knew she could ask me for anything and I would come running to her rescue. It took me a long time to break that habit. Therapy helped. I read a book called Emotional Vampires, Dealing with People Who Drain You Dry by Albert Bernstein. This book helped me in dealing with people in my life who were negative and were using me. People who I had trouble saying no to or staying away from. It helped me realize why I needed to do so and how to do it. Today, I surround myself with positive people. I don't make time for people who are negative, who use me or put me down. They are emotional vampires. I know for a long time, I was so focused on the idea that I was overweight and I had a disability that I thought I was unattractive. More so, I thought I was unlovable. I thought no one would want to have sex with me. So when the first person came along that started to flirt with me, I ran with it. I was super excited and I made some bad choices. Now, I'm not saying that having a casual fling is bad. If you're doing it for the right reasons and you want to, then that is great. Maybe you find someone hot and you just want to have that experience. I would never tell anyone not to do so. Because I've had people tell me not to do it and I went for it anyway. What I will tell you is to be safe. Have a friend that you can make a safe call to. Make sure someone knows where you are, including an address, and where you're headed. And use protection. There are latex-free condoms for those of us who may be allergic to latex. Many people with spina bifida are. Casual sex can be negative, though, if you're jumping into bed with someone simply for the fact that they are a willing and able partner because you think you might not get this chance again with another person, because you think, who else is going to want to be with me? Times when I've felt this way and jumped in have made me feel worse the next morning. For me as a disabled woman, I learned that sex has to come with a certain level of trust. Sex with someone I do not know is scary for me. I need to be with someone I trust enough to know they won't leave me stranded somewhere if my car breaks down. They'll help me if I fall or if I need help walking up a flight of steps. They'll understand if I can't have sex that night because I'm not feeling well. In the same vein, we don't want to rush into any BDSM play with just anyone willing to play with us. Remember that what we do in BDSM is dangerous. I think part of the reason I'm attracted to this type of play is because of the level of trust I need to build with a partner. That is not something to take lightly. It takes time to build that trust. Low self-esteem, which many of us have, 
can lead us to settle for less than we deserve. We may settle for a one-night stand because we may think we may never get the chance to have sex again. We go out with someone without considering if we could be putting ourselves in danger. We put up with emotional vampires because we crave the excitement. I learned from all these experiences and I grew. I learned that when someone says, oh, you're so cute, in that condescending tone, to just move on. Today I know I'm worth more. Interestingly, folks who knew me back then thought that my husband was the one who got me into the kink scene. But I was the one who sought out alternative relationships and kink. My husband was much more outgoing. He was fun and energetic. He was creative. He was his own person. I respected that about him, and I wished I could be more like him. I was the shy one who tried her best to be what others wanted her to be. My husband was himself, no matter whether people liked it or not. He had a different hairstyle and different hair color every week. He had a body full of tattoos. He had painted fingernails. He was often judged as being tough or scary, yet he was the gentlest person I ever knew. He inspired me to explore and find myself. If it hadn't been for him, I never would have started the desirability campaign and been courageous enough to start this podcast. I have him to thank for that. On our next episode, we'll talk about accessibility. Not only accessible spaces, but also we'll talk about how to welcome newcomers who have disabilities in the scene. At the end of every episode, I'll be posting a question for you to consider. Today's question is how can you offer assistance to someone with a disability in the scene? We'll discuss some do's and don'ts when talking with folks with disabilities. Remember to go to desirability.com, that's D-I-S-I-R-ability.com, and share your thoughts with me. That's all for today. Until next time, be well. Desirability Alt was created and hosted by me, Angela Carr. Opinions expressed are from my own personal experience or that of my guests. Did you like what you heard today? Be sure to follow Desirability Alt wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next time, you can also find me at desirability.com or on any social media at desirability. That's D-I-S-I-R-ability. Thank you for sharing this journey with me.